17 to 22. In your pew Bibles, it's page 846. Mark 10, 17 to 22. In your pew Bibles, it's 846. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Father, thank you for your word and its living, active, able to penetrate and divide our soul and spirit, our joints and marrow, discerning our thoughts even from afar. We just pray this morning that we would find application for our hearts as we study this passage and that you'd have your way in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Mark 10. And one of the applications we're going to be looking at this morning is this. Every one of us here, whether we like it or not, has a barrier that often keeps us from knowing God more deeply or even knowing him at all. All of us here have a barrier in our lives from following Jesus at times, or discovering the life that God has for us. In our text this morning, the root of this man's sin, when we peel it back, is his self-sufficiency and pride. You might be tempted to think that money was the root of his problem. Money wasn't the root of his issue. It was a symptom of the issue. Underlying the issue, behind the issue, was his self-sufficiency. And because of his self-sufficiency and his pride, when invited to follow Jesus and lay down what he thought was valuable, even more value than following the living God, he walked away, the text tells us. He walked away sorrowful, discouraged, despondent, without any sense of joy because the one opportunity that he had before the living God, Jesus Christ, he was unwilling to accept that invitation. And so this is where we need to do a heart check. We all struggle in so many different ways, don't we? No one gets a pass. For the believer, those of you who have already claimed Christ, you're following Jesus, you've accepted him in your life, uh, you know that there are sometimes things that keep a distance between you and God, and in this sense, God is asking you to lay it down. But perhaps you're here this morning, and maybe you're visiting, 
or maybe you've come a few times and, and you really don't know if Jesus Christ is your Savior. He's inviting you this morning to follow him. And as we get into the text, I want us to see together this wonderful opportunity before us that God, the living God, calls each of us into relationship with himself that we might have life to the full. This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the book of Mark now. We're back at Mark after holidays and all kinds of other different things. The book of Mark begins in chapter 1, verse 1, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how it starts. Chapter 1, verse 1. And it's good news because we who are fallen and separated from God have been invited into a relationship with him. That is the good news through the person of Jesus Christ. What makes this text before us in chapter 10 of Mark so tragic is this man, look at the text with me, verse 17, he had the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In fact, in all the Gospels, it's the only time the question is asked. And yet that was not really the question the man was asking. We'll see that in a few minutes. He had the right question. He thought in his mind that he had right devotion. When Christ laid before him the commands of Scripture, he says, I've kept these from youth, these commands, verse 20 tells us. And at least for that day, his life was pointed in the right direction. Verse 17 tells us, the man, when seeing Jesus, ran up and knelt before him, who we know to be the Savior of the world. Yet despite kneeling before Jesus with the right question, no doubt religiously zealous, we read that the man at the end of the account walked away from Jesus. Think about that. The very living God who walked in the flesh on earth, he walked away. Where are you at in your heart this morning? Are you walking with him or are you walking away from him? By the way, there's no neutral ground here. There's no middle ground. You're either with him or walking according to your own ways. Now, the good news here in this text is despite the troubles in this man's heart, despite his disillusionment, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loves every one of us here. This is all good news, my friends. Remember what Jesus said, I have not come to condemn this world, but that the world may be saved through me. So before we're too hard on this rich young man, let us be honest with our own lives and ask ourselves a question. What is that barrier that's coming between us and Jesus? I have them at times. I have them at times. Fears, anxieties, depressions, thoughts, impure thoughts. And I have to have a willingness, and this is true of all of us, if we're going to follow him, I have to have a willingness, I have to have a posture to be willing to, to lay those things aside 
and make him the center of my affection. There's no other way. We can't have both. Jesus is calling us all here to follow him, to be willing to lay down whatever it is, stand between us. No greater tragedy for a human life than to put God second and the other thing before him that will one day, by the way, perish and disappear from our lives. No greater tragedy than this. So in this text this morning, I want us to focus on two basic truths. First, Jesus always demands a response. Every single time. You read the Gospels, and every person who comes in touch with Jesus Christ has a response. It may not be the right response, but it's a response. He demands a response. Scripture says that by him and through him, all things are created. There is nothing in this universe that exists without him. He demands a response. And the second truth is we're invited to turn from whatever may be that barrier and turn to him. You know what that's called? Help me out, Pastor Mike. Repentance. That's the fancy theological term for it. And repentance simply means to turn from that which is leading us away from God, sin, pride, whatever it may be, and turn to him. So let's look at these truths together. The thing that amuses me about this passage is this. Our first response does not prove anything. Our first response does not prove anything. One of the things that should stand out us in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22, is how this rich young ruler starred with such an enthusiasm, excitement before Jesus. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're excited to be here this morning. The music touched your heart. Maybe you're even excited about the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 17, tells us this man ran up to Jesus, knelt before him. Now, just pause for a moment with me. Pause for a moment with me and think of how dramatic this scene is. Jesus is taking his last trip to Jerusalem. He had three specific journeys in three years to Jerusalem that Mark mentions. And on each occasion, he warns the disciples that he would be one day handed into the, the hands of the religious leaders and be crucified and raised. They didn't like that. They didn't like that version of the gospel. They wanted a gospel of prosperity and success, and Jesus wasn't giving it to them. He was giving them a suffering Messiah. He's on his way, last trip to Jerusalem. In a few weeks, he'd be crucified and raised from his dead, and he and his disciples earlier had passed, a few weeks earlier, passed through the region of Galilee, had now been going through the Jordan, if you know your geography, through the Jordan towards Jerusalem. We also know by other verses in Mark that there were large crowds following Jesus. It was hard to have access to him. In fact, on this 
trip. If you remember uh, little Zacchaeus, the little tax collecting man, wanted to get to see Jesus, couldn't do it, ran up, climbed a tree so he could see Jesus. The large crowd's following him. And this young man probably heard about Jesus and his ministry, his miracles, great prophet of God, excited about meeting him. And being a wealthy man, he was probably used to getting what he wants. You know, that's often the case with people of money. And we have no reason to think that his desire to meet Jesus that day was any different. And so the text proceeds. We see this wealthy man, no likely better dressed than the people around him, right? That's what wealth does too. If he was a woman, he probably had a Gucci bag. (laughs) I don't know what they would have had if he was a man, but he probably had nice sandals. I don't know. Very dramatic, and here he is running, running now, running before Jesus, kneeling before him. Very dramatic. I mean, if this happened, even this morning, if someone came bursting through the door, running before you, first of all, probably get tackled by a few of my security guards back there. Are you out there? (laughs) Hopefully they're out there. That won't take much to get take me out. He runs and falls before Jesus, and no doubt everyone just paused. That's the way I envision it. Now look at the interaction here between Jesus and this man. After he addresses Jesus as good teacher, asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus corrects him on two fronts. Two fronts. First... Jesus corrects him and tells him there's none good but God alone. That is very interesting, isn't it? There's none good but God alone, which is a a direct rebuke to this man's attitude, as we're going to see in the next verse. And to lead the man to see his wrong thinking, Jesus reminds him that if he were to be a perfect man, He would be keeping all the commandments. And what's his response? I've kept them. I'm good. I'm okay. Jesus says, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, etc. If he kept these, he would indeed have eternal life. And Jesus was correct on that. Jesus is doing something here out of love to confront something he sees in this man. What does he see? He sees self-righteousness and pride. He sees a man's belief that he had already achieved moral goodness in and of himself, which is revealed in verse 20 by his response, teacher, I've kept these from my youth. In other words, he believed he was A-OK. Which leads us to a question, what in the world was he going to Jesus for to begin with? Do you think he really wanted to know the answer? I think he thought he had the answer. But within him was pride and self-sufficiency. This is something that Jesus does to all of us, by the way. When we go before him, he always confronts us with truth and leads us to reality. 
Isn't that beautiful about who Jesus is? This is why Jesus, this is how he describes himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So here in our text, Jesus leads the man to see that ultimately, despite his confidence in his own moral goodness and sufficiency before God, that his heart was actually filled with greed and self-sufficiency. We know, we know this because Aftir invites the young man to sell everything he had. The man walked away. But it's important now, look at verse 21, that as Jesus is rebuking and correcting this man, he's doing it out of love. He's doing it out of love. You know, just as a side note, Maybe you're here this morning, you doubt that God loves you. Maybe that is a struggle of your heart. Maybe there's just some circumstance in your life that causes you to doubt God's goodness. To doubt that he loves you, that somehow the circumstance that you are wrestling with or the struggle that you're having is somehow means that God has rejected you. And his blessing is not upon you. That is a lie from hell itself. You see, when we talk about the immutable qualities of God, that means his unchanging quality. God can never be anything else but loving, and everything he does comes from love. Even when we have a circumstance in our life or a struggle that brings us right to the edge. Why? Because God doesn't want us to be self-sufficient. He doesn't want us to be depending on ourselves. He wants us to depend on Jesus Christ with some things. No. Everything. To say that Jesus Christ is Lord means everything. My relationships, my money, my time. Everything in my life is at his feet. That is the question before this young man and before us this morning. Just a little rabbit trail. Out of this passage, two wonderful, beautiful doctrines of Scripture emerge indirectly. The doctrine of who man is and the doctrine of who Jesus is. And so before we finish up our texts, our text this morning, I just want us to briefly look at a couple ideas here of what Scripture teaches. In theology, when we say the doctrine of man, the fancy word is anthropology, where we get the word anthro, which is man in the Greek language. Notice in verse 17, after the man addresses Jesus as good, Jesus quickly reminds him of a very key truth. There is none good but God alone. This brief statement, and I love Jesus because he could say it in just a few words. I've got, literally, I have four big books this fat on this, this subject on the depravity of man. And Jesus could say it in 
Six words or less, because he's Jesus. This drives at the heart of all man's problem. Remember, this rich young man believed in his mind that he's good. I'm good. I'm okay. And by the way, whenever I share Christ with people and I ask a person, why do you think when you get to heaven, God would accept you, that God would welcome you in? And, and if, they, if they don't know, and they're just speaking from their own heart, many, many times, and I'd say 90% of times, this person will say, well, because I'm a good person. I said, compared to who? That's a relative term. Compared to who? And usually they'll pull out of their hat like a Hitler, a Stalin. Yeah, I agree. You're probably good compared to him. But are you good enough? And so this doctrine of man, and so key for us to understand, is that every one of us is a sinner. And there's two key passages on the heart of man on this subject, one from Romans 3 and the other from Romans chapter 5. In Romans 3, the Apostle Paul reminds us this way, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one who does good, not even one. And then he says this in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, maybe he thought if he took a running leap and knelt before Jesus, that, that would give it a little extra goodness there. No, fell short. In Romans 5, Paul delves deeper into the problem, man, and sin. And he gets into this idea. It's not so much the sins we commit, although those are an affront to God. It's the fact that we are sinful by nature. Listen to Romans 5.12. Sin came into the world through one man. He's talking about Adam, the first man. And death through sin, death meaning separation from God and physical death. And to death spread to all men because all have sinned, every single one of us. And, And to make the reader understand that this problem wasn't resolved by keeping God's law or his laws, Paul then said, this promise, sin and death, even ruled or reigned in man before the law from Adam to Moses. In other words, man is born a sinner. Needs to have his nature changed. Needs to have his heart transformed. This is the key, by the way, to this whole conversation with this rich young ruler. Because the man falsely believed that he is accepted before God based on obedience. And this is why the gospel is such good news. And leads us to the second doctrine, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ, which is also called Christology. It's another f- fancy word. Christos. Who is Jesus? If he was just a man... Think about this. Then his response by telling the young rich man that only God is good would mean that Jesus, together with the rest of mankind, is also not morally perfect. However, if Jesus is God in the flesh, 
that's what it means to be the Christ, then Jesus stands apart from man and would be good 100%. And it's because Jesus demonstrated to us a perfect life on earth without sin that he was able to bear our sins on the cross. Again, listen to Paul, Romans 5, 9. Teaches us if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Beautiful, isn't it? This is the gospel. And so though the rich young ruler had the right question, was before the right person, and believed he had the right life, he was far away from God, didn't know God. He just wanted Jesus to agree with his point of view, really. But like the rest of us, he was not okay. The only thing that was going to make him okay was Jesus Christ. See, that is a key truth. It is Jesus who cleanses us from sin. It's Jesus who gives us a new nature. That's what it means to be born again. It's Jesus who gives us that new life, new perspective. And the beginning of a journey of transformation, so many of us have tasted of it. Some of you here are walking with him, enjoying him. Some of you know him, but you're not walking with him. You're not enjoying him. We want to help you there. And some of you may not know him. That leads us to this last point this morning. Jesus calls us to follow. And the condition is repentance. Repentance from self to him leads to eternal life. The basis of Jesus' call to each of us to turn from sin and turn to him is God's love. Our text this morning in Mark 10, 21 shows us so perfectly. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and spoke to him. Just pause there for a minute. Just let that text sink in your heart just for a moment. Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and spoke to him. Now let's do a little exercise. Let's take him out. Put me in. Jesus, looking at me, love me, and speaks to me. He's a living God. And the word love here is so important because it comes from that great word, agape love, sacrificial love, the same love that led Jesus to the cross. Going back to Romans 5.8, we read that God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.9 states this same truth this way, our Brother was just reading from 1 John. Mike, God is love. 
And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So important that this truth is that God revealed Jesus Christ to us, that the inadequacy of who we are, the sin of who we are can be cleansed, taken care of because he loves us. He loves us. And when we look at the cross, we see a perfect demonstration of love. When Christ confronts this man's greed and self-sufficiency and pride, it was born out of love. When Jesus brings discipline into our lives, that roadblock that we don't want, that correction, that pause in the road that's stopping us and and we're forced to look at ourselves in a fresh new way, love. Love. Well, what are the things that keep us from him? Finish up here. Well, there are different things, but the underlying principle under all those things that keep us from abiding in Christ, believing on him or looking to him or putting all our life in his hands is pride and self-sufficiency. Sometimes it's shown by our attachment to money and material possessions. I mean, you think of how ludicrous this is when you look at things in the eternal framework. We need money to live on. I'm not suggesting that. God provides. There's nothing wrong with budgeting and and earning money and giving it away. All those things are good. But if it becomes a passion, a fixation, a thing that that trumps God in terms of our value system, Jesus says, you might need to give it all away and walk away from it. Remember, look look at what 1 Timothy 6 teaches on this. We brought nothing into the world and cannot take anything out of the world. True or not true? Same passage says, but the love of money, the love of money, not money, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Another barrier is religion. Who would think that religion would be a barrier to knowing God? I've seen it. You know the different stories I've shared as my wife and I served in India 10 years. We saw some of the most religious people in the world. I've seen people bury themselves up to their neck for weeks And people would come and feed them with spoons of beans and rice. And they were there working off their sin, their karma, that somehow they would be adequate. I've seen people walking around for years, by the way, completely naked. They're called nagababas in India. They believe that it's somehow a way of expunging sin. I've seen millions trying to cram their way way into the Ganges River. Here on this side, in the United States, we have religion too. Religion is the idea that somehow through my own obedience and through my own efforts, I can make myself acceptable before God. Wrong answer. 
Can't do it. You know that devotional we have out in the hall? Free, by the way. If you need to spend time in God's Word, we have this wonderful tool called Today in the Word. I picked up this little story. A businessman was well known for his ruthlessness. Once announced to Mark Twain, Before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I'll climb Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top. Mark Twain says, I have a better idea. Why don't you just stay in Boston and keep them? (laughs) But they're both wrong. You can't keep them. And going to Mount Sinai and reading them isn't going to make you pure. The only thing that, that we need is Jesus. He changes us from the inside out, and then he writes the law right in our hearts. That's the good news. Other barriers to Christ. Oh, by the way, pride. Putting a relationship before God. You ever read that passage when Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, his own life, he cannot be my disciple? What is Jesus really talking about there? He's not talking about hating them. He's using what is called a, uh, a technique, speaking technique, hyperbole. He says, if, if, I'm not, if I'm second and they're first, you can't have a part of me. Other barriers, addiction to substance, pornography, gambling. There's so many things that can capture the human heart and, and just swallow it up to what is so good and true and important. You know what Jesus says to every one of them? Because he loves us. Stop. Follow me. Give you a new life. I love you. I love you. Last thing truly is, because I have to. I'm looking at the clock. <laughs> Got this crazy clock in the back, that, and I'm, I only blame myself for it because I bought it. <laughs> it's like one foot high numbers that remind me when I'm running late, but I'm not. I'm on time if I end right now. Sad commentary on this rich young ruler is for him, when invited to follow Jesus, you know what the answer was? No. And the text tells us that he left Jesus disheartened and sorrowful. And you know the original language of both of these words is used when describing a dreary, gray, rainy day when the sun doesn't shine. I can't think of a better way to describe a person without Jesus. Do you know him? That's the question this morning. I know many of you do because I know your story, your testimony. Thank God for you. If you're here this morning, you love Jesus, but things keeping you away from him, come to the pastors, find someone, do business with God. Put Jesus first. If you're here this morning, you don't know him as Savior, we want to help you. We want to help you to know him in this new life that we're talking about. Not complicated. Turn from sin and turn to him. Say that with me. Turn from sin and turn to him. 
That was simple. I hope if you're here this morning and you don't know him that you would do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful, beautiful text of Scripture. So rich, so full. Help us to leave here with a sense of your love, your goodness, your kindness, and your willingness to stop us. But most importantly, the open invitation to follow you. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, goodness, and love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.